Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Broadcasting live from an undisclosed location in the western foothills, you're listening to Open Ears, Maine. We want to hear your pandemic stories. To call in, dial area code 515-602-9747. That's 515-602-9747. The phone lines are now open. Refereeing is fundamental. A national program with local projects that give books to kids and help them start reading. But Riff needs your help. Thank you, Ruth. Send your tax-deductible donations to Riff, Box 23444, Washington, D.C. The other things can be postponed. But while you delay his immunization... Your child is in danger. Help protect him against polio today. Go to your doctor or local public health department. The vaccine's just a drink that tastes like water. Don't cripple their chances. Immunize your children against polio now. Welcome to episode 15 of Open Ears, Maine. It is Thursday, May 28th, 2020, another hot spring day in the western foothills, but I'm not complaining. I'm your host, Crash Berry, editor-at-large for Mainer, the magazine and website at MainerNews.com. Do you listen to true crime podcasts? If so, please check out Devils and Dirtbags. That's my 13-part investigation of the child-molesting priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Springfield, Massachusetts. It's a sad story, for sure, but needs to be told. Visit devilsanddirtbags.com to listen, or download the show wherever you download. On today's Open Ears Main, we'll hear from two guests with dramatically different points of view on the COVID-19 pandemic, a college student and writer, and an innkeeper with a large investment in Old Orchard Beach. But first, the numbers. According to the Maine Center for Disease Control, there have been 2,189 cases connected to the coronavirus in Maine, at least 84 Mainers have died with COVID-19, and at least 1,292 residents have recovered from the illness. According to media reports, seven employees of the Maine Emergency Management Agency experienced symptoms of COVID-19 last night, which meant today the state shifted its daily press conference to an online event. 
Also, there's at least five reported cases of COVID-19 at the Milestone Shelter in Portland. That's a homeless shelter for folks with active drug and alcohol issues. A long time ago, about two decades ago, I spent a week undercover as a reporter posing as a drunk homeless fella in order to report for the now-defunct Casco Bay Weekly newspaper on what the Milestone Shelter was like on the inside. And to my surprise and delight, I found a amazing group of caring and kind staff looking out for some of Maine's most marginalized folks. Also, I spent seven nights on the mats, sleeping next to other down-and-outers, so I know the shelter's layout. Got to be tough to social distance in such tight quarters. On tonight's Open Ears Maine, we're presenting two dramatically different perspectives on the pandemic. Later in the show, we'll talk to Pete Guidi, owner of the Seagrass Inn in Old Orchard Beach. He's also behind the new website, QuarantineMaine.com, and he's got a lot to say about the 14-day quarantine and other issues especially those connected to the hospitality industry. But first, we'll hear from one of my favorite local writers, Phoebe Colbert, a columnist from Mainer, who just finished her first year of college at Smith in Western Massachusetts. We're going to talk about what the younger generation thinks of the baby boomers and COVID and more. Coming up, Phoebe Colbert. before it's too late. It's already too late. I've worked for you a long time, and I'm paid less than Robin. Holy discontent. Same job, same employer means equal pay for men and women. No time for jokes, Batgirl. It's no joke. It's the federal equal pay law. Holy act of Congress. Can we talk about this later? Will Batgirl save the dynamic duo? Will she get equal pay? Tune in tomorrow or contact the Wage and Hour Division listed in your phone book under the U.S. Department of Labor. Welcome back to Open Ears, Maine. Joining us now is Phoebe Colbert, a writer and I dare say a cynical and thoughtful young voice of Maine. Phoebe's column, Kid Number Two, appears monthly in Mainer. And for the record, I'm the one who discovered Phoebe after reading a handful of her tweets and recognizing that she had an interesting point of view and wit. So then I asked her to try writing a column about her adventures as a smart high schooler. That was a couple of years ago. Since then, she's written over two dozen columns available at MainerNews.com. And nowadays, she's in college, Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts, to be specific, where she is studying sociology. Phoebe, what was it like at school when talk of COVID-19 first started? Well, in January, we were only vaguely aware of it, I think, and not frightened at all. 
And then when it started coming to the States, I think people were like, oh, it's only a couple of cases. But of course, being smart young individuals, we realized, well, you know, a virus is, if you look at it, an, an exponential graph. So um, I think it did not take that long for us to realize that shit would hit the fan. But I think at the same time, it was hard to imagine that ever happening. Hard to imagine that you were going to be sent home from your second semester of college, I'm sure. I mean, that's never even kind of like crossed my mind that college would be shut down because of a pandemic. Yeah. In fact, I remember reading about students in China being sent home and thinking that was insane and how that would never happen here. How well did the admin communicate with you guys about what was going on? I think they did for the most part as good as they could have. Information was changing really quickly. They put together a COVID response team, but I think none of us again, really thought we would be sent home until the week it happened. I don't know that they did an excellent job prepping us for that possibility. So you guys sent home the third week of March. Do you remember the date you were sent home? We were one of the first schools to find out, and we found out on March 10th, but we did not have to be out until March 20th. So before that March 10th, uh, was there a sense on campus that there were any precautions being taken? Was there physical or social distancing? Was there extra cleaning? Was there masks? They canceled large gatherings. And actually on March 10th today, we found out they drastically changed the dining hall precautions and such, but not, not nothing more than that. Were classes still going on? Classes were still going on, but we don't have a lot of large classes. And in fact, a couple professors who did teach the big lecture classes had already made the decision to move those classes online. How was your first semester? Was that good or bad? My first semester was, for the most part, good. It was a little rough for sure. But definitely, I was very much settled in by the second semester and was hitting peak enjoyment. Peak enjoyment is very important. Yes, indeed. You have friends there, I imagine. What are they communicating with you back then in that early March time period? I just don't think that any of us really thought about it that much. I think that social gatherings is kind of a bummer. A lot of my friends, I'm on the Frisbee team, and a lot of my friends are on the Frisbee team, and we were really worried about our spring break, and we were worried about tournaments that we were supposed to host. Um, our, a couple of our teammates are immunocompromised, but I just don't think it really was on the mind that much. I think we were pretty blissfully unaware. So were you hearing things from your parents? Were they sharing their fears about COVID? I was actually on the phone with them when I got the email telling us that we were being sent home. And it was just that week that stuff had started shifting on campus. But I don't think they were that worried either. I think they were, in fact, initially pretty disappointed for me that, that I was being sent home. Disappointed for you, but also, I actually know your parents, probably disappointed that their empty nest was being invaded <laughs> earlier. When you got home, was school instantly online? They extended our spring break. So we got sent home the week before spring break, and they gave us two weeks of that. Um, and then school went online, yeah. Before you went home, let's say in that early March period, March 10th to March 20th, was there any real social distancing? I'm having a hard time imagining what physical distancing and social distancing is like in a dorm. What was that like? Pretty non-existent. In fact, Smith is pretty notoriously not a party school. I would say we're the opposite of a party school. 
that week there was like two keggers on the quad, the big housing complex, which is unheard of in recent Smith history. There was a lot of partying, a lot of drinking, um, a lot of hugging and crying. Did it have a doomsday feel to it or just oh, sadness sure. that school was ending? I would say both, especially for the seniors. The senior class was really, really sad. And I had a lot of seniors in my classes who were really upset. And they, in fact, pulled together a impromptu graduation, which was really sweet, but also, of course, really sad. And people were walking across the mock stage, crying and drinking. Crying and drink. Oh, so was the mock uh, graduation during one of the keg parties? No, it was it was during the daytime. In fact, there was a lot of day drinking happening. It was a very a very healthy culture. Before this, was there any day drinking? Did you ever see day drinking at Smith? God, no, absolutely not. Smith has a international student body, so with your comrades from other countries, maybe China, for instance. Were you getting a different vibe from them? I think they were more worried because Smith was not initially clear about their plans for international students. And also, of course, some international students had family in heavily affected areas. But Smith did very quickly put out a plan for international students saying that they could stay on campus, which I think eased a lot of that fear. They actually pretty drastically shifted housing for the students who remained on campus so that they could socially distance more and have rooms reserved for quarantine should they need them. When you left on the 20th, were you told that you weren't coming back that year? Yes, yeah. So you brought everything home with you? Yeah. I remember the night before we, we got sent home lying in my dorm room thinking this might be like last, one of my last normal nights, like I'm lying in my bed before the world ends. And then, yeah, it was just a week later, I was in the car on the way home with all my belongings. Let's talk about that for a second. You were laying in bed thinking, this is how the world ends? Yeah, it certainly, it certainly is a thought, isn't it? It's hard, it's hard not to twist this into something it isn't. It's hard not to think, you know, this could be the end of the world, or maybe this could be the start of a new world. It, it, it just feels so crazy. It's, it's hard not to put more significance on it than perhaps a global pandemic. <laughs> When I grew up in the 1970s, Cold War was at its height. Uh, every Friday afternoon, we had air raid sirens. I actually had fears that you're talking about, about nuclear annihilation. That was like a real fear to me as a young fella. Before COVID-19, did you have worries like that about the end of time? I don't know if the end of time, perhaps. Definitely the impending climate catastrophe, I think, has been weighing on my entire generation's mind for the past 10 years. Certainly the mass shootings, the police brutality that's always in the media, I think it, it's hard not to feel like the world is headed in a very dark direction. Even a lot of the stuff, you know, police brutality, for example, has been going on for ages, but it's definitely just getting more media. It certainly feels like we're going in a bad direction, an unstoppable bad direction. An unstoppable bad direction. That sounds kind of cynical and negative. Um, I'm sorry for your generation. <laughs> Back in school, before you guys sent home, were people paying more attention to the media then? Of COVID in particular? Yes. I don't think so, no. Like, how much media consumption besides social media 
did you and your comrades actually do? Do you read a paper on a daily basis? I don't know. I I tend to get news on the internet. But that being said, Smith Student Body is pretty. Um, I would say pretty well informed in a you know in a NPR type of way. And I also do know that a lot of people going home to different places were definitely paying more attention to what was happening there. To get a heads up on what going home was going to be like, I imagine. So were you checking in to see what Maine was going through? Yes, for sure. It was very reassuring at that point to see that we didn't have that many cases. So you're probably one of the few students returning to a place where there isn't a pandemic. What was it like when you came back to Maine? When I came back, we were planning to do stuff, a lot of my friends and I. You know, like, we should hang out, we should go work at a coffee shop, we should get some jobs. And in fact, the day before I came back home, I was texting a friend of mine, and she was like, are you going to quarantine? And and by quarantine, she meant social distance, because we didn't really have the distinction then. Are you going to quarantine when you get back? And I was like, no, why, why would I? I came back home, and it was within a week, it was a completely different world. What was going on educationally at that time? What were your classes like, or how was studying remotely working out for you? It was really hard for me. I was really, really sick when I got back, and then I was still sick when school started again online, and I didn't adapt to it very well. And I think a lot of my classmates and friends didn't. Um, it's it's really hard to it's really hard to learn online, and it's really hard to find motivation to get up and to go to online class and to do the work. I think I think a lot of people found it very unmotivating, very depressing, and pretty soul-crushing. Wow, soul-crushing. Could you walk us through a regular school day? Sure. I think I was unique in the fact that I only had two synchronous classes a week. So on Wednesdays, I had two classes that were about an hour long that we Zoomed into class. We had pre-recorded lectures and then worksheet sessions throughout the day that you could join on Zoom. And then my two other classes were all just recorded lectures. So you log on, you get on Zoom, you have a class conversation, or you log on, you get on Zoom, and you watch the lecture, you take notes, and then you turn in papers or quizzes online, pretty much. And a lot of my classes had to shift. We had, you know, group projects or presentations or stuff like that that requires a lot more in-person work. Um, so we have, a lot of classes had to shift the syllabuses. How is that experience different than sitting in the classroom watching the professor? Well, I think a lot of it is about your willpower. I, for example, have very little willpower um, and already struggle with I have some ADHD issues, which really makes it hard for me to focus in a classroom where you're in this environment that is distinctly for learning but then if you take doing the same stuff and put it you know on my bed with no social pressure to stay in tuned to what's going on on your screen it's um it's a lot harder to focus and absorb and also add on to that staring at a screen for hours and hours a day is really hard and exhausting do you feel that you learned anything in this latter part of the semester no, not at all. I think I was uh, pretty much BSing my way through. When did the semester end? It ended on May 8th. You said you kind of bullshit your way through it. Did you get grades yet? 
Smith uh, actually switched to pass fail, which I applaud them for. And I did, in fact, pass. Thank, thank the Lords. Tuition for Smith is probably what, 50 grand? I, I would say that's a good guess. Do you feel you got your money's worth? No, no, I would no, I don't think so. Any word on refunds or any adjustments? I mean, you're not eating the food there anymore. You're not staying in the dorm anymore. Was there a refund? We got reimbursed for half of the semester's room and board and work-study students. We were given the hours that we would have worked, but no tuition reimbursement. How do you think the pandemic is going to impact the future of your college experience? Um, I don't know that the pandemic will have a huge impact at Smith because we're not such a social school already. But if we go online next semester, which I think we will, obviously it'll really affect um, my academic future. I personally plan to take the semester off if we go online. And I think the vast majority of people I've talked to also have similar plans. But then the worry is even if we go back or if they tell us we can go back mid-semester, things could get worse again and they could just send us home. Wow. So a strategy to avoid that would just be to skip a year of school. Is that what you're saying? Right, exactly. What would you do? Any plans for that? I mean, work, I guess. A lot of my friends are talking about woofing, but of course you would have to woof in in the United States or in New England, really. I don't really know what I would do. I think I would like to feel like I was doing something worthwhile with my time and still learning something. Now for the listener, woofing is uh, willing workers on organic farms or something like that. So you would be able to go stay on an organic farm and work four hours a day in exchange for room and board. Had you ever thought of doing that before? I was planning on taking a gap year actually and doing that, but I could, the terms of my acceptance at Smith did not allow me to do that, unfortunately. So what's your plan for the rest of this summer? Well, I had a job at a summer camp, but I do not have a job there anymore. I may again in July, but I, I doubt it. So I don't really know. I am unemployed and can't file for unemployment. Not that I desperately need the money, but more that I desperately need the structure. So I'm searching around for a job that does not seem incredibly miserable. A couple of weeks ago, I interviewed this fellow from the Midcoast area who thought that teens were handling the COVID crisis better than adults. Have you seen examples of this? I don't know if I agree with that. I think because it's affecting us in such different ways. I think you can even argue that this is the worst age to be during a pandemic. I mean, besides the elderly with poor immune systems, obviously, we're supposed to be at the prime of our lives. And we're at an age where we can fully comprehend what's happening, but we don't have these stable lives like many of our parents do. So we're putting on pause a lot of, or missing a lot of valuable coming of age moments and you know, learning about yourself and stuff. All of that to say, I think we're fighting different battles. And I think teenagers, I think in some ways are inherently more selfish. So yeah, most of us are practicing social distancing and taking care not to put one another in harm's way, but we're certainly very crabby about it. And I think also because we've grown up for the past 10 years or so with disaster breathing down our back, school shootings, climate crisis, et cetera, et cetera. And because we're young and it's easier for us to adapt, it doesn't feel like such a big deal to a lot of us. But I, I, I wouldn't say they're handling it better. I think maybe we're adapting better. I just want to return to that school shootings. Is that 
ever-present fear for kids in school these days? I think it depends on how anxious the kid is. Everyone is aware that it could happen to you or your friends. I don't know that all of us think about it as much as, say, my anxious mind does. Do you have shooter drills at Smith? We don't have shooter drills. We did have like a brief thing during orientation and then a lot of rooms. There's information on it, but no. All right. Well, back to the pandemic. How do you view the so-called adults who refuse to wear masks? I can't think of much more stupid things. I think it's really ridiculous, especially since if you go to the grocery store, you go wherever, a lot of the people you see not wearing masks are people who tend to be more elderly, which just seems absolutely ridiculous to me. And especially with the whole rhetoric towards my generation of us being liberal snowflakes who are so sensitive. And then you see these videos of people protesting outside of Baskin Robbins because they won't open again. It's, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I think that kind of protest is uh, ridiculous. The one that really gets me, though, is the videos that I've seen of people coughing and spitting on workers in response to being told to wear masks. Have you seen those videos? I haven't. I heard about the woman in New York who who died because she was spat on, the uh, the metro worker. But I haven't seen videos. That's pretty, it's disgusting. Complete disregard for other humans, especially working class humans, I think is probably the more key bit. Oh, yeah. It's always the worker. They're not coughing on the manager. So are you and your pals wearing masks? Yes. I think there's some thinking that outside you don't need to wear a mask as much as inside. Um, I wear a mask outside. Uh, Not all of my friends do. I definitely don't think we stay six feet apart all the time. But I think for the most part, teenagers are doing a pretty good job. Teenagers, young love, puppy love, young relationships. Any take on what's going on in the relationship world because of pandemics and because of quarantines? Well, from the college view, I think a lot of people uh, had pretty unexpected long-distance relationships pop up. Yeah, it's been pretty hard for a lot of people. I don't have anyone that close to me who's in a relationship with someone else who is also in Portland, so I can't speak to that. But I can say that I think if I was in a relationship with someone right now, I would have a hard time staying away from them if they were in the same city as me. I I don't imagine that a lot of teenagers are being very socially distant with their uh, with their partner if they live in the same area. Yeah, sneaking out at night, I'm sure, is becoming more popular. How do you view the boomer generation's response to COVID-19? I think that it's certainly not unexpected. As I was saying earlier, I think boomers love to play the victim. I don't like to generalize, but I will in this case. I think they love to play the victim. Like I was saying earlier, they they love to call young people liberals and snowflakes and yada, yada. But they hate when they're called Karen. They hate when their restaurants are closed. And then you can get into all of the race stuff. But yeah, I think it's pretty typical, the response. I'm not at all surprised, though I am pretty disappointed. Um, and it's scary, too, because I think a lot of young people feel like a lot of the precautions we're taking are for the elderly. And it kind of sucks to see that a lot of the older people don't really don't share in those precautions. Would you say your generation is more conspiracy minded or less conspiracy minded than the boomers? I tend to think less. Um, I think conspiracies are just the, you know, I think we all use tools to shift stuff to how we want to see it. 
but I tend to think that my generation does not buy into that as much. I know people who like conspiracy theories, but they do not like them genuinely. They like the YouTube videos where they are intentionally being crazy um, and not realistic. Uh, but yeah, I really don't know any people who actually believe in conspiracy theories. But that being said, I also grew up in Portland and then went to a very liberal college. So that's not particularly surprising. When we look at some of the fringe actors protesting for reopening the state, it's turned very political. Your thoughts on how Governor Mills is performing? I think she's in a really tough spot. I think for the most part, she's doing a good job. And I understand that she's under a lot of pressure from both sides. That being said, I think she has perhaps succumbed to the pressure a little too much. I don't really agree with her plans to reopen. I think it's acting too quickly. There's been this tweet going around comparing coronavirus to the Vietnam War. I think it's we beat coronavirus like we won the Vietnam War. It got too expensive, so we pretended it was over. And I think that's a lot of what's going around right now. We're thinking more about the economy instead of humanity. Yeah. Did you see that that letter from the Maine Hospitality Board or something? Yes, I did. They say, basically, we you should get rid of the 14-day quarantine, which is just completely ridiculous because let's pretend they do get rid of the 14-day quarantine and let's ignore all of the community health reasons that that's a terrible idea. Still not going to get as many tourists as we normally do. And Maine's economy is still incredibly vulnerable and will still take a drastic hit. So really, we shouldn't be focusing on reopening the economy. We should be focusing on economic relief. So you're thinking, you know, we reopen the economy, we're not going to be making the billions we normally would, and yet we're increasing the chance of risk for a short dollar almost. Exactly, exactly. Hmm. So after I'm done interviewing you, I'm going to be talking to an old Orchard Beach motel owner who is uh, really hurting because of the pandemic. What would you say to someone like that? I would say I, I feel for you. I think it's hard not to. I think it completely makes sense that people are really anxious and scared right now. It's a terrifying time and especially if you run a business that really depends on the summer season, as many main businesses do. But also, I think I think we all need to realize we're not going to have a great season this year, and we have to find other solutions. Where do you think those solutions are going to come from? The government? I mean, in an ideal world, yeah. I think we really need some, some money to, to flush our economy. Um, I think we need to focus on reopening for safety rather than reopening for profit. And I think the only way we can really do that is with government funding, probably federal. Um, but that seems very unlikely, doesn't it? What are your thoughts about how President Trump has handled COVID-19? Oh, uh, pretty poor. I think he's done a pretty bad job. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy how heartless he seems to be and how um, narcissistic he really seems to be, that he can make a global health crisis be about himself and his ratings. One of the last days I was at school, I was sitting with my friends and we were all crying. And one of my friends started to have a panic attack and I, and I asked her, you know, what's wrong? And she was just so, so, so scared. And she didn't trust Trump to take care of public health. And it really terrified her. Yeah. And it's really scary. It turns out she was right. How often did Trump come up in conversation before the pandemic hit? daily at least. I try not to talk about Trump as much as possible. 
from talking about Trump, it's about his policies rather than stupid stuff he says, because I really can't stand to talk about that. That's kind of funny because your dad, who's a buddy of mine, uh, spends a lot of time posting on social media specific things that Trump says. So is that not a conversation that you guys have? No. And in fact, it's because for me, at least, it, it drives my mother crazy. And then that in turn drives me crazy and I can't stand it. I don't know if you knew this, but he subscribed to Trump's fan email. He, and he forwards me <laughs> those sometimes. And they're just crazy. Yeah. So they're fundraising emails, right? They're constantly asking him for money too. Yeah, exactly. They read like one of those Nigerian prince scams. <laughs> I don't think your old man's going to fall for that and uh, write a, a check to Trump. Do any of your pals support President Trump? Um, no. Some of my friends' families do, but then, you know, like two of them, which again, isn't very surprising considering where I've gone to school. But yeah, no. Yeah, you're in the People's Republic of Portland, then you go to Northampton. Um, in your daily life, you don't have any interaction with people that are Trump supporters? No, no. Some of my mother's family is, but um, I don't talk to them that much. What about your thoughts on the pandemic kind of being the beginning of the end? I like to call end of days, end of time. I mean, that's very self-centered for humans to think it's the end of time because I know time will go on after humans leave this planet. But <laughs> there is a feeling of end of days sometimes, massive shutdowns, locusts taking over countries, you know, a whole bunch of plagues coming down the turnpike. Thoughts on that? Passover was, you know, what, like a month ago, um, and we had a virtual Seder. And every time we would list the plagues, my grandmother would go, and COVID-19. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it definitely does not feel good. I would venture to say that it, I would not be surprised if it was the beginning of the end. Yeah, especially with, you know, murder hornets. And I keep thinking about, I don't know why this is on my mind so much, but I keep thinking about antibiotic superbugs. Like, that's going to, that must be on its way soon. Even, And then part of me is, I've been thinking a lot about the world that we live in and how a few powerful people doom us to live often such ugly lives and how we could really live in an incredibly beautiful world. So part of me hopes that we can get to a turning point. But then the cynical part of me thinks that, well, there's been a lot of turning points that we've ignored so far. Hmm. You almost sounded positive for a second there. You almost sounded <laughs> hopeful. Just to uh, backtrack a little bit there, you talked about like the uh, the worry of like superbugs coming and infecting us too. Um, I had a conversation with a nurse three, four weeks ago. And, you know, the shortage of sanitary wipes at the hospitals could be leading to other infectious disease issues, you know, because there's uh, such a scramble for medical equipment. So it's like, we're all one, we're all connected, everything's all connected, right? And like, just the lack of being able to sterilize something could cause even bigger problems that we're not even thinking about right now. Yeah, we we act really, if you look back on it, <laughs> we don't ever seem to have a plan as a human race, and we tend to fall into a lot of unfortunate circumstances that way. And we seem to think that we know what we're doing, but honestly, we don't. I mean, is that your perspective? Yes. Well, but then at the same time, I think if you look back at who is always affected the worst by catastrophes like this, it's always poor people and people of color. So 
that sometimes makes me think, well, maybe there is, maybe, maybe there is a plan to this. Well, I keep thinking about the undocumented folks. I imagine it's really, really hard to be undocumented, even more so than normal right now. Um, you don't have access to unemployment, to health services. I imagine they're living in a lot more fear should they get sick that would really be dangerous for them. I've also been thinking about communities of color. We keep seeing these videos of um, particularly neighborhoods in New York, cops going in and breaking up people who are not necessarily social distancing. But then you look, you know, in Brooklyn at in the parks and there's a bunch of white people not at all social distancing and they're handing out free masks and not, you know, beating the crap out of them. Uh, so I think it's I think it's even more so a particularly hard time to be a person of color and a minority. I keep on thinking that COVID is showing Mainers and individuals adaptive side, how we can adapt to anything. Have you seen any signs of that, of how people have adapted to this new normal? Yeah, I think people have been incredibly resilient. I think this has very quickly become, you know, the way of life. My friend just came back from a year abroad in New Zealand, and I was on the phone with her right before she got back and she was like, you know, what's life like there? And I was like, oh, it's pretty much back to normal. And then I realized, you know, she'd been in New Zealand where they really are not, it's really not so much of a thing. And it's not so normal here. We're all wearing masks and we can't touch each other and yada, yada, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel that weird. Um, and I think for the most part, people have been really strong about it. Any thoughts on this being a time for revolution? I would love if that were true. I have a lot of, anarchist friends and I am very very quickly uh, approaching that title myself and I think one of the big things standing in the, in the way of that is that to get community action it's really really hard to to do that without face-to-face -face meetings and face-to-face -face organizing and recruiting and I think social media activism right now is so big and I think especially right now because that's really the only way any of us can do it but I don't think that social media activism really does anything personally so I'm not that hopeful that during this pandemic, a lot of change will happen. And in fact, I think it allows us to be a lot more complacent about, for example, the Trump administration. Um, I think it's very easy to ignore what other not great stuff he is doing right now. <laughs> How does it feel to be living back home during the pandemic? In some ways, it feels like I'm back in high school again. And I think it's, I think it's funny being a college freshman because people talk a lot about how you're a freshman and then you have a lot more freedom in college. Um, I actually kind of felt the opposite. I felt like I had less freedom in college because I didn't know the town so well and I didn't have a car and yada yada. But yeah, definitely being back home in my childhood bedroom is I'm falling into a lot of old habits. Any good habits or are they all bad? Habits? <laughs> all bad. <laughs> what are your bad habits? Oh, you know, um, staying in bed all day or being on my phone all day. Um, what I've learned about myself uh, recently is that I um I'm perfectly okay doing chores. I, in fact, enjoy doing chores anywhere but my own house. So I'm sure my parents do not love that. Have they assigned you chores to do? Not particularly. I think we're quickly approaching the point of me being so useless but that they will have to. When you come home from being out and about, do your parents say, do you wash your hands? Or do they ask you, have you, you know, leave your clothes out the door? Is there any in-house rules? Just wash the hands. I think my mother has learned to not uh, to not remind me, or I get a little snippy. Um, but it's you know, wear the mask, wash your hands, don't touch people. 
don't touch things. Do you have a groovy mask or is it like a just a normie mask? My dad bought these masks that I swear are made of cut up t-shirts. So that's what I'm rocking. What Black color is mask. it? Black. Black. I look like I look like a robber. Phoebe Colbert, writer for Mainer and a student at Smith College. Thank you very much. Coming up, a conversation with Pete Guidi, an old Orchard Beach innkeeper, about his website, quarantinemain.com. We'll talk about the quarantine, the governor, and much, much more. Learn more now, earn more later. That's a motto CBS Radio wishes every college student would paste inside his or her wallet. A lot of those collegiate wallets are a good deal fatter than usual these days, thanks to summertime jobs. And as a result, quite a few young men and women are finding themselves tempted to forget about school this fall and keep on with that job. This isn't such a smart idea as it may seem. It's a plain and simple fact that dropouts from college are less likely to find and keep better-paying jobs. Quit school before you finished, and you're not only cutting down on your chances for a really good job, you're also throwing away thousands of dollars of possible future income. Finish college. Get all the education possible, and your lifetime income is many thousands of dollars higher. America needs well-educated young men and women, and the rewards are sure. So if you're wavering now that school's about to open, don't decide against your future. Go back. And remember, learn more now, earn more later. Welcome back to Open Ears, Maine. Joining us now is Pete Guidi, owner of the Seagrass Inn in Old Orchard Beach. He's also behind the new website, QuarantineMaine.com. Pete, what is your view on the state's 14-day quarantine for visitors from away? Well, thank you, Crash. 14-day quarantine. What a crazy idea. What a stupid notion, really. How on earth can that be tracked or thought about for people who come on vacation to Maine for three days in the summertime to enjoy our lakes and our beaches and our hiking and our fishing? Uh, they're up here for three or four days, uh, and they're supposed to quarantine in a non-commercial location for 14 days uh, before they spend a few days going about. How would anybody track it? How would anybody think about it? How would anybody enforce it? How crazy a set of requirements possible? And so um, what we did was we stood up a website called Quarantine Maine. Uh, a couple things about it. First and foremost, we collect no information from consumers. Uh, this is strictly a PDF form that's full, filled in. It does actually answer the basic questions that the state uh, is asking business owners and lodging to, uh, to be able to hold themselves accountable to. And so uh, this form was put together to make it simple and easy uh, for consumers who want to come to Maine uh, to satisfy uh, this requirement by the state. And uh, it provides the hotel owners, the lodging owners, uh, with a document uh, that uh, they're able to demonstrate that the people who have walked through their door have told them that they've quarantined for 14 days. Well, I'm looking at this form, and you're saying that the information you're getting from the people, let's say they were coming to your inn, they would give you this form in case sure. there needed to be some future contact tracing. But sure. that seems to be just a side effect of this. What you're doing is you've created something that gives, a, I guess, a paper trail, but 
I've noticed on your website you have a main address list. So I clicked on that, and it generates a random main address for me, a, a non-commercial address. And then going back to the form, which I've got to get back to the form here, I am supposed to then put in the self-quarantine address, which must be a non-commercial main address, and there's a link back to that. I guess that's a random address generator. So it seems like you're encouraging people to, to lie. Well, you know, that's one way to look at it. Um, I, I suppose, <laughs> what way do you look I, at I it? Suppose, I'm sorry, you're right. That was my. It looks like a lie to me. But what? What do you? How would you? How would you phrase it? Well, how would you prove? If I'm a hotel owner and you come in and you tell me your name is Mickey Mouse, how would I prove it isn't to your ID? And and if, you know and remember when you check into a, a hotel, you know you are you are bound uh, to provide an ID uh, and you are bound to sign a registration form. That is part of main lodging. It's part of every hotel you've ever checked in in your life. And, and so as hotel owners, bed and breakfast owners, you know, camps, et cetera, uh, if you're renting to the public and somebody comes to stay at your place, they do sign a registration form. And that form is a legal binding contract. And it is required by, by law to do that. We have to have it. Candidly, if we don't have it, we get shut down. And, and so um, that's, that's part of today's environment anyway. And so what the government has said is on top of that requirement, you need to assure also uh, that somebody is quarantined for 14 days in an on-location spot in Maine. How would I know whether that's a real address or, no, or not a real address, whether you've spent that time there or whether you haven't spent that time there? Candidly, how would the, how would the officials, even if they came in and checked on it, imagine three and a half million people a year visit Southern Maine. How on earth are the police going to investigate what address you spent the last 14 days at? It's really ludicrous. And so, and so it's a, it, the, the form itself is 50% for real and 50% 50, 50 spoof. Uh, it really it demonstrates how ridiculous the request is to begin with. Uh, but at the same time, it actually meets the test. And, and we're not under any obligation as hotel owners to research the location you've spent your 14 days at. How would, how would we do that even if we were supposed to do that? The ra random address generator is not my product. It's somebody else's product. Okay, yeah, I see it's an exterior link to your website. But still, I, mean, I hear what you're saying, that there's no way to confirm. Uh, it, we're requiring Correct. people to be honest. Who's requiring people to be honest? If we were the requiring people to be honest, quarantine. I think we should start at Governor Mills' office. Okay, but let's say, we'll get to Governor Mills, but let's say focus on this. Yeah. 14 days, as a member of society, yeah. as a good, upstanding member of society, at a time of a pandemic. Do you agree there's a pandemic going yeah. on? Do you agree that was, there's lots of people? Uh, not, no, I really don't. I, I, I mean, it depends how you define pandemic. Sure, there's a dangerous virus out there, and, and um, this, you know, we're all dealing with that. I get that. Have you seen how there's a lot of people dying in Massachusetts and New York? Uh, I have. So they're not very far away from us. They're especially not far away from you. So you have people that are possibly carrying a disease that we're trying to quell so that it doesn't become a bigger issue. Curious why you would want to encourage somebody that possibly could be carrying the virus to come to Maine and then give them this kind of, hey, use this random location generator. I mean, it just, it just seems kind of weird. Uh, it doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah, I love the concept of possibly and might be. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that you might possibly be doing, Crash. Um, and there's a lot of things you might have. 
um, why don't, you know, why don't we start tracking, you know, people who have chlamydia, um, you know, or, or HIV or, I mean, there's a long list. I mean, this is a rabbit Actually, they do, they do uh, track, hey, Pete, they do track sexually transmitted diseases. But this is a little different. Don't, I, you, I guess my point don't is, you get that we're in this kind I of crazy guess. time period right now? Um, so, again, you know, the, it's not my requirement. It's the governor's requirement. And I've used, I've used uh, easily and public available tools. Uh, I'm not charging anybody any money. I'm not collecting any data. Uh, I'm making it easy for people. If people aren't honest and people want to lie, um, I don't see how that's my responsibility. Uh, then, you know, if, 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 uh, if this, is, this is similar to, you know, somebody buying a gun and shooting somebody else, is it Smith & Wesson's fault? Um, I, I'm not in control of other people's uh, willingness or not willingness to be honest or, or not. Um, I understand, again, I understand the dilemma, uh, but at the end of the day, I, haven't, I was the one put in this situation. And it's not my responsibility to enforce uh, what um, somebody else chooses to do, and um, and and there's no way there's no really way to police it or or to enforce it anyway, and and so you know my my take is that the 14 day quarantine is a bunch of crap, and um, and um, so that's really behind the the quarantine form is is half half protest half spoof half real, it's information we're being required to collect. Okay, the state wants us to collect this information. We didn't invent this idea. Now, putting the random address generator in there is just a chuckle. Well, that did provide me a chuckle. And again, that does, that does kind of raise a red flag. How would you feel if one of the people who either came to stay at your inn or came to Maine and used your form to say, hey, I've been in Maine for 14 days, what if one of those persons turned out to be a asymptomatic spreader of COVID-19? How would you feel? I don't know. I don't know. What if a comet hit the earth tomorrow? I, I don't know. You know, I mean, what if? I mean, is there any doubt in your mind that people are coming to Maine that are asymptomatic positive COVID carriers? What are we going to lock the door? I mean, come on. Well, I think that's what they're trying to do, lock the door with the uh, well, quarantine. Right. I've mentioned this a couple times on the show. Uh, do you remember the story of Typhoid Mary? the Irish cook from, yeah. So she came to Maine in uh, 1902 and came to Islesboro and uh, spread typhoid there for a while. It was another six or eight years until they found out that she was the carrier, but you know, it just shows one person coming in can cause some havoc. Let's talk about COVID-19's impact on the hospitality industry. I know you guys are suffering. The shutdown has hit you hard. I recently read that casinos and hotels and the National Trade Group for uh, hotel and motel owners are pushing for a federal bailout. Do you think that's going to happen? I don't know. I mean, I, I would far prefer commerce and 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 you know I you know I didn't I didn't sign up and volunteer for this baloney. You know, I, this was supposed to be my first year of semi-retirement. My wife and I laid everything we got into this joint a year ago, and and this was the year to declare victory. Um, you know, I want to just run my hotel and mind my own business. That's my goal. Instead, okay, we're shut down. We're we're at 60 years old. I've got everything I've ever earned locked up in this joint. Okay, and we're gonna. And it looks like we're gonna lose it all. And oh. and um, you know, and so you know, so I didn't pick this fight. And um, you know, that's it. I didn't pick this fight. And I will say, as far as COVID-19 is concerned. You know, it is the summertime in Maine. Viral loads are at their lowest. The sun is out. The days are long. The nights are warm. Uh, we will not stop COVID-19 crash. It's coming. 
Okay, when do we want it here? In November when the days are short, the nights are cold, and everybody's locked up inside? Okay, that's the trouble with politicians and the heavy-handed arm of government. Okay, the results are always something different than they think. Okay, these guys are running around like underdog, for God's sakes, trying to save us. What they're really doing is setting us up for a broke wintertime with a lot of sick, cold people locked indoors. That sounds terrible, but hold on, let's go back. First of all, I know a lot of people feel for you. I feel for you. You've invested a lot of money in this venture. This is totally unexpected. Uh, Were you able to apply for the payroll protection program, the PPP? Well, we did, but keep in mind, my business is a summer business, and I'm open for a grand total of about 90 days, and I typically use J-1 students. You know, we all, you know, this, this, a lot of Maine's summer labor it comes from the J-1 program, and, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but, you know, these are kids making 12 bucks an hour. They come in from places, believe it or not, I had kids from China here last year. It's kind of a chuckle right now, too. Uh, and, um, you know, so our labor costs are reasonably low. And so PPP is really based on your labor costs. And so there really wasn't that much money there. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's going to help, you know, it's helping feed us a little bit, but it won't carry us along. We also got the disaster recovery loan program to be about one sixth uh, of my revenue for the year. And, and so, you know, we haven't paid a bill in 90 days. We, we haven't paid the bank. Uh, we haven't paid credit cards. We haven't paid cars. You know, uh, we're, you know, we're in a situation where, um, you know, we're discussing bankruptcy with attorneys. Uh, you know, there's, uh, this is, a, this is a, an absolute train wreck. The people who are going to get hurt in this area from my business will be, you know, I, I have a 30-room hotel. So, you know, on a, any given day, there's 70 to 100 people here. And they're shopping and they're buying food and, and they're doing all that sort of thing. And, and the supply companies and the laundry, the laundry companies, you know, they, the economic impact that we'll feel uh, from the loss of businesses like mine is is downstream and local uh, and the, the assistance program so far, uh, they definitely keeping food on the table, but that's about it. The trickle down effect of this is going to be giant. And for the record, I love yeah. Old Orchard Beach. Uh, you know, I try to get there every year or so just for the people watching, mostly French fries too. I think it's safe to say that many of the tourists that come to Old Orchard are from Canada. Uh, the Quebecois have well, used Old Orchard as a playground for many, many years, but the Canadian-U.S. border is closed at least until June 21st. That well, it is. might even be extended. It is. Our business actually, while we do have a Canadian business here, and it's you know it's, it's sizable, maybe you know probably 15, 20 percent of our total business at this hotel. Majority of the folks we see are from New Hampshire, Massachusetts, New York, Connecticut. That's really that's really where where our crowd has come from. You know, and, and, you know, I love Old Orchard Beach, too. Uh, you know, my, my, um, I, I met my wife, my first wife, uh, in Old Orchard Beach. We fell in love here. We had three children here, you know. And, um, you know, there are going to be a lot of people this year that are going to hope to come back, you know, for their 20th year anniversary or something like that. They want to come back and celebrate it in Old Orchard. They're not going to be able to come. And you know what's going to happen in the next 12 months? One of them's going to die of a heart attack, a car accident, breast cancer. It sounds like a pretty lousy deal to me, Crash. Okay, a pretty lousy deal. Uh, you know, if this was if this summer was the summer I met my wife, I wouldn't have my wife and kids. Uh, we put our whole doggone life on hold for this, and life isn't going to stop. Bad things are going to happen. Opportunities are going to be missed. It's not just the business. It's it's everything else that's happening. I feel for you. It's got to be very, very stressful. I can't even begin to imagine. It's got to be like a constant uh-huh. panic attack almost, you know, always you know, juggling is. all these issues. 
But still, back to the, I want to get back to the kind of this bigger idea of government involvement. If 30% of your trade is Canadian, they're not going to be coming in all likelihood, even if they reopen the border, because the Canadians are probably going to say, the Canadian government are probably going to say something like, in order to come back from traveling to the States, Canadians are going to have to do a 14-day quarantine, or they're going to pass a, a COVID-19 test. So that's going to put a lot of Canadians saying, we're not going to go down to the States this year. We'll go out to Nova Scotia instead, because if they're on vacation, yeah. they're not going to want to come back and do a 14-day quarantine. So a huge chunk is shut down there. And then what happens in terms of the stuffing? You mentioned the J-1s. Who are you going to have to work for you? Well, we don't know. You know, we really don't. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, my wife and I are, are busy actually making up beds today. I mean, we're, you know, we, we literally, you know, we literally are, are, you know, working in our rooms and, uh, and trying to see to it that, uh, you know, that the hotel, the hotel gets itself going and, um, you know, we're making beds and washing floors and cleaning bathrooms and, and, and doing that sort of thing. And, and, um, you know, we're not ready yet, candidly. And, and it costs money. I mean, I've got thousands of dollars worth of stuff that has to happen between now and then. I really don't have the dough, you know, to, to lay into it. I mean, if I lay the money into it and, and then nobody shows up, you know, I, what, what, <laughs> where do you go with that one? And, and so, you know, it's all, it's all of those pressures. And, and also, you know, I, again, I, I just wanted to run my hotel this year. I, I didn't want to get into this big public battle, this big debate and find myself out in front of this issue, but, you know, we're fighting for our lives. And, um, you know, if, if, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down swinging. Obviously you're a man of passion. Okay. And with some very strong beliefs, you're talking swinging, going down, all this stuff. It's very fight orientated. Right, you're you're, no, you're brawling right now. You're saying, you know, uh, you're, you're throwing words around like tyranny, right? That's right. Dictatorship that you you think that the governor is a tyrant and a dictator. How do you feel Trump is doing? Well, this isn't this isn't not about Trump, and and it's not about national politics. In fact, it's not even for me. It's not even about state politics. It's about town politics, and and the reason I talk about tyranny and the reason I talk about abuse of power. Okay, is because when the governor enacted the emergency management system in the state of Maine, she circumvented the legislature. And when the town of Old Orchard Beach and, and many other towns, by the way, declared a state of emergency, okay, they circumvented the, the normal governance rules. There's been no public hearing. There's been no public debate. There's been no vote of the council. The legislature is adjourned. Sarah Gideon will not bring it in. They are unaccounted government officials acting in whatever way they choose with no input from the public. That's tyranny. You, but you don't feel the same way about the federal government? Then. I, I, listen, I, I, the, the federal government isn't in charge of my life. The town government is. If I open my hotel, okay, it is the Old Orchard Beach Police Department, okay, that's going to show up at my door and enforce the rules. It isn't the federal government, okay? It's not the federal government who's, who's the federal government did not come in and arrest Rick Savage. The federal government did not go in and stop him from operating. He's still open, was though. Local he wasn't government. arrested. He wasn't arrested. Well, he, he's still they, open. They, they, he's selling beer. He's still open. So when people are saying yeah. tyranny and dictatorship, like you, and I'm going to call you on this because I'm just, those are strong words. Yep. You know what I'm saying? They are. Strong they, are. Words. they are. If this was a dictatorship, if that was the case, then how come Rick Savage isn't in jail? That's what I'm saying. It, it, using those yeah. words as someone, you know, we remember what the Cold War was like where there was yep. real tyranny and dictatorships. I, I, I hesitate to use those words when 
you got a guy flouting the law and he's still running his business. So it doesn't seem like there's teeth to that argument. Well, you know, I can say that I can say that there's a lot. You know, I'm, I've got 40 business owners I'm communicating with down here, and there's a number of people saying, "Oh, we all just need to get together and open up, right?" And and I'm not jumping on that. Okay, you know, I'm I'm not going to create an act of civil disobedience. You know, I I have uh, a license. I have licenses. You know, I'm a good citizen. You know, we've you know when we bought this property, we cleaned it up. This property had a lot of problems in it. Okay, and and we got rid of all the problems and we created an environment where I mean, we even created a bathroom environment where the police, you know, could could use use a facility with and be able to lock a door so they could take their guns off. You know, we've we've been we've been great citizens in this town uh, and where we strongly believe, you know, in in civic duty. And and I see my role right now as providing a civic duty, uh, but I'm not going to operate outside of the law. Uh, it's not the right thing to do. I mean, a lot of people have said, oh, you're going to be in a lot of trouble when you open up. The town's going to have retribution. You know, they're going to crawl up your butt about everything, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you know, if there are things that need to be fixed here, I want to fix them. You know, if there's stuff I'm not doing that's right, I'll I'll fix it. I I don't have problems, you know, I, I don't have a problem you know, operating, you know, within, within the law. It's, it's, um, you know, it's just like the, the quarantine main website. It's completely legal. There's nothing in there that's asking anybody to do anything illegal. Nobody's twisting your arm to do anything. Okay. In fact, I'm being required to collect that very same information that that form collects. And, and so, um, you know, we're not gonna, we're not going to go down the path of civil disobedience. It's a, um, it's a mistake and uh, we're going to use our political, you know, our, our, our political will, uh, in this town, uh, what I've said uh, loudly and proudly, by the way, is that if the, the town manager and the fire chief would hold a public hearing, uh, solicit public comment, open the subject up to the town council and have a vote, uh, then, then I'm, and they want to vote uh, to keep the state of emergency, I'm more than happy to keep my mouth shut and live with it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I find it very difficult at the city level uh, to deal with that. I find it very difficult at the state level to think that the governor, you know, has not um, called the, the legislature back into session for a debate and a vote. Uh, I've been in Augusta three times. I'll be there again t- uh, Saturday morning. And the governor has yet to show up at those protests, okay, and stand there and, and, and get on, get in front of that crowd uh, with a microphone and t- explain to that crowd why she's doing what she's doing. And if, if you're going to be the governor of Maine, if, you know, if you're going to be the town manager of a, of a city, you should at least have the backbone uh, to stand in front of those who oppose you and explain yourself. And if you don't have that kind of backbone, you shouldn't be in the business. A lot to unpack there, Pete. I got a couple of questions. You say civil disobedience. That's not where you're headed. So do you feel no. Rick Savage uh, overstepped by opening and continuing to be opening? Are you a, are you a fan of Rick Savage? I, I appreciate his courage. I wouldn't have done it myself. I mean, it wasn't, it's not my course. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't see myself, I don't see myself, you know, attempting to do that. It's, um, I suppose if I had three or 4 million bucks in the bank, I might feel different, but, um, you know, um, I don't, it, you know, I, I don't, I don't have the horsepower to pull that off and um, not stupid enough to think I can. Uh, I don't know what I don't I don't know where he found his courage, but uh, it's not my route. I, I want to be able to say that I want to be able to say that um, I, I did not create any acts of civil disobedience, you know, or never performed outside of the law or the rules, and uh, that's you know that's where we're going to stay. Uh, so you know you know I you know you know hats off to Rick for having the courage to do the things he did, but that's not my path. 
When you went to the rallies in Augusta that you're saying that you'd like to see the governor at, uh, were you wearing a mask? Did you practice social distancing? No, no. Um, you know, I, I will not wear a mask. I, I wear a mask. I wear a mask when I go into the grocery store, um, and I wear a mask when I go to Home Depot, and I only do that to be polite. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, those are private businesses, and if you're going to go into their business, then you should, you know, uh, adhere to their rules, and and that's just polite, but it's nonsense. And um, so, uh, but when I'm out in public, no, I'm not wearing a mask. When you reopen and you work in the front desk, are you going to be wearing a mask? No, but we put a shield up. Uh, we are we are putting a shield up, and it's a good. It's an interesting point you make for for all of the the all of the uh, clefetching about the possibility of somebody with COVID coming in. It's really me and my wife uh, who are most at risk. We're the ones who have to deal with every person who comes through the door, and and so while everybody else gets to social distance, you know we're the ones at risk. Right, because you're a frontline worker, just like over a That's quarter right. of the people that have COVID in Maine are healthcare workers. Uh, they're on the front lines right. getting exposed. Right. Okay, so you're, you're not going to be wearing a mask. You have a shield. Are you going to ask your patrons to be wearing masks when they come in? Well, it's part of the requirement, you know, where, you know, if, if I understand the governor's rules correctly, uh, and so, you know, along with quarantine Maine, I mean, another thing you'll have to sign when you sign in is that we've told you to wear a mask. Uh, what am I going to do, kick you off if you don't? throw you out of the hotel. I mean, I, I mean, how am I supposed to do that? You know, um, it's, a, it's, it's part of the absurdity of the rule. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we will, we will, you know, we will have it on our guest registration form that, you know, you've been asked to wear a mask when you're on the property. Uh, but you know, what are we supposed to do? I'm supposed to chase you around, you know, uh, you know, and they've closed all the bars in old orchard. Where do you think the bar is going to be? It's going to be in all the rooms. Okay, you know, we're going to have, you know, we're going to have, you know, people behaving poorly because they can't behave poorly elsewhere. And, <laughs> and you know, one of the, you know, listen, I mean, it, it happens. All right. And I mean, we've spent a tremendous amount of money, uh, you know, purchasing the equipment necessary to deliver a properly disinfected room. Uh, we're making huge changes in the way we do business. Um, you know, the office itself, we've put up the, you know, the poly shields. Uh, we bought a, a reasonably expensive type of air cleaner to, to keep the air in that office where my wife will be most of the time, you know, as disinfected as possible. And the amount of money that's been spent trying to, you know, we've, we bought this rig that uh, puts out a, a mist and these pretty expensive chemicals that they would use in like an operating room or an ambulance, something along those lines. And, and so we hit, we've, we're going to be hitting those rooms. We have to remove everything has to come out of the room with every turnover um, and, and so, I mean, it's just the amount of additional labor and the amount of additional effort and the amount of additional money, uh, that's being laid into trying to deliver that properly disinfected room in the, in the off chance that somebody is positive with COVID is, is, um, you know, pretty sensational and, you know, something we do, you know, it's, we're, we're going to do it. Uh, and, um, but there's some stuff like, you know, saying, hey, Crash, where did you quarantine for the last 14 days? You know, you put that address down for me and, and attest to the fact that you've been there or don't check in. I mean, how, how am I supposed to do that? When I listen to what you're saying, you're, you're very strong-willed. Uh, you have these opinions. Yet at the same time, you're saying you're going to obey the law and you're not going to do any civil disobedience. Uh, so I find that to be That's interesting. Right. And when I went to your Facebook page, for the uh, quarantine main, you sent me a link to that. 
And I noticed there was that cover image that you chose, and I'm going to explain what it looks like to the listener. There's a large bald eagle with its talons stretched out, and there's two tattered American flags as wings. And then these are the words on top of the image. When tyranny becomes law, rebellion comes duty. And then there's the number three in Roman numerals in the year 1776. First of all, where did you get that image? I've had that image for quite some time. Uh, I use it in a, in a variety of formats. I have a, a large digital footprint in other areas. And, and so um, yeah, that's a part of my persona. Are you aware of the group known as Three Percenters? I am. So are you a three percenter? Because that image is one of their standard images. Yeah, I'm not. Not that I'm not that I'm not philosophically um you know, I'm I'm put it this way, I'm one degree off. <laughs> You're one degree off from three percenters. Okay, because for the listener that doesn't know, the three percenters are a fairly far right paramilitary group and they've advocated right. armed resistance to the federal government. Okay, they, they're, they're always against the feds in favor of states' rights. So I just got a little confused there because I'm hearing you say the state, the town, all that, that's who you're mad about exerting these powers, but you're not angry with the federal government. But the three percenters and that whole tyranny thing comes from giving rights to the states as opposed to the federal government. Well, so it's really the same argument, right? I, you know, it's, it's really the same argument. I'm actually making the same argument, if you listen more closely to that. You know, in, in, we, we live in a representative form of government. In Maine, we have something called home rule. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, our government system is set up so that ultimately the people who control our lives are at the town level. And, and the town has to, has to agree to behave as the state and it has to agree as it is to the federal government. And right well, hold now, on, hold on, hold on, hold on one second, Pete. Hold on. Home rule, just to clarify that, my understanding of home rule is that the local municipality has control to make decisions on things already not decided upon by the state. That's where home rule is. That's right. Home rule doesn't supersede the state. So the state of emergency was signed by the governor, so that would supersede any local. Well, no, the state, the state had the state, the state, the, the local, the local government had to declare the state of emergency as well. Uh, there were some towns, for instance, Hamden and Acton, most recently Callis, that that walked away from the state of emergency. And certainly, the governor could call the national guard of the state police, and she could enforce the state of emergency using the state police of the national guard. I say letter, uh, and so and so that's that's where you know that's where my philosophy uh, aligns itself with three percenters. Uh, I you just said that myself. you would let Janet Mills, you'd be okay with Janet Mills sending the National Guard to Callis saying, shut down because the city fathers said no, we're I open? No, I said let her try. Oh, let her try. Okay, so that's that, that's a let 3 percenter attitude right there, but that's like a that's, challenge saying, okay, you do it, you're pushing us. That's right, and so, so, and so I'm, I'm, one de- I'm one degree, you know, I'm one degree off. Um, you, know, I'm, I, you know, I think that, I think that the, the, the binds of the society you know, need to be held together. Uh, but there is a, you know, I, I do think, I do think, okay, that the the government right now is risks, okay, pushing all those people who live on the margin of those attitudes into action. I think it's a concern, okay? I think people should be, be more conscious of the fact there are a large segment of people out there who who really do 
um, live in a world uh, where their their concerns and their fears about tyranny are very real to them. Okay, and and how big do you, you think know, this, that group is these, though? How, how big do you think that group is in Maine? It's unknown. Um, you know, I've heard I've heard tell of some pretty interesting stories as of recently. Uh, very concerning. I've related them to other people. I won't do it on in, in public. Um, you know, and 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 I I I would say I would say that it, it doesn't take a lot of people. And that there are there are definitely people out there who whose screws are a little bit loose along those lines, uh, and and it's concerning. So it's you think concerning. there's actual think people in Maine? So you're concerned that there are people in Maine? Let's say that Janet Mills did try to uh, use the National Guard, for instance, which I don't think she would. If they didn't arrest Rick Savage, they're not going to send the National right. Guard in and bust up Callis, right? And and right. Callis is in right. a weird position too because they're on the border. Uh, the border's closed except for essential traffic. Callis is already economically depressed. I haven't been up to Callis in five years, 10 years now, actually. I have no idea how they're surviving because it's got to be tougher for yeah. them than anyone else. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be right there with them by the end of this summer. So. Well, I, I, all I can say is I hope not. But one final question. Do you think everything you're saying and your, your I guess I would call them your comrades in this reopen Maine fight who are all very... Yeah loud and aggressive do you think there's a chance that janet mills will listen to you no no she's she you know there's two issues there number one you know people can be real believers you know the old saying you drank the kool-aid so i mean she's really in the kool-aid i mean she's she's lock stock and barrel in Uh, i have talked to people who uh apparently know the governor I, i don't i've never met her but they tell me uh that she's a very strong willed person and she's not prone to say she was wrong and and so you know she's she's committed to a course of action, and um, you know once a person becomes committed to their course of action, um, then you know things are hard to change. Uh, that's why my efforts really have been aimed at the at the town uh, where you know we can marshal hopefully local you know local support to to get the the town to walk away from the state of emergency so so that we can get open here and and get rid of the 14 day quarantine and that kind of stuff. And and so. Um, I don't think the governor will change. I think she's committed to it. I think she thinks there's some sort of federal pot of gold for her and her, her you know, for the government out there. But it's going to be, it's going to be a very broke, cold winter for a lot of people in Maine, and and lots of folks in this town. I mean, I really worry about all the young single moms, you know, who make their livings. Okay, in the in the summertime, they, these girls have been used to making thirty, forty thousand dollars in a summer on tips. They're going to be broke. Uh, broke, 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 no money. And, and, you know, how, how are we supposed to fund the schools? Who's going to pay for the football teams and the swimming teams? And, and we all rely, you know, we all rely on police and fire and public law. Who's going to pick up the trash? And, and what about the elderly? Okay. And, and, uh, and the people who require social services, where's that money going to come from? And, and so I, I just think, you know, Maine has spent a lot of money and a lot of time building up a reasonably decent social services network. And the real disaster, the real disaster, and this isn't people like me, I'll figure out a way to survive. This sucks. It's going to destroy my, my, you know, it's going to destroy things I've worked for for 40 years. All right. But I'll, I'll survive. I'll figure it out. But there's a lot of people who won't. And this is just going to be an utter disaster in their lives. And there's nothing that that some part of federal gold is gonna gonna do to fix that, and, and that's the part I think that's most disgusting in all of this. Well, I guess I do have one more question. I hear you're very eager to criticize the government. Do you have any critique 
of uh, Dr. Nirva Shah, who's from the CDC, who is saying many of the same things the governor is saying in terms of shutdown and rules, but he's saying them from a clinical and medical perspective. So if you're saying she's after it for the pot of gold or whatever, what about Dr. Shaw? Is, is there some nefarious conspiracy with him? Uh, you know, look, doctors have opinions, right? And, and um, you know, whenever I think about doctors and people tell me, you know, talk to me about their doctors and you know, somebody like Shaw, I think about Michael Jackson. And, and you say, well, Michael Jackson, I say, look at that poor guy, what they did to him. Those were doctors. You know, uh, you know, just because he's a doctor doesn't give him some, you know, some you know, omnipresent type of, you know, knowledge. Well, he's just, I mean, he's, he's oh, studied doesn't make him a right. lot more than you and I. It doesn't, doesn't make him right. It gives him, and, and there are plenty of doctors who disagree with him. Lots of them. Okay, he's just one guy, okay, who's got power. Okay, I mean, I get a kick out of the guy, okay, he's standing behind the governor with a mask on. I mean, come on. I mean, if, if he hasn't been tested on a regular basis because he's near the governor, I, I'm a monkey's uncle. Okay, and yet he's standing behind her with a mask on. It's silly. It's just absolutely he, silly. And then the best part is he the best part is he touches the mask. I actually he actually loops it with his finger like he, he uses reasonably good cross contamination procedures. Okay. But it's it, it's it's a show, okay. You know, he's like a clown on the T V putting an act on. You know, you know, his opinion is just another guy's opinion. He's got a good job, he gets paid well. And that's all. I mean, he he could be just as likely to be completely wrong as he is, right? Pete Guidi, owner of the Seagrass Inn in Old Orchard Beach, thanks for your time. He's also behind the new website, QuarantineMaine.com, and we'll be back in a minute. Now, what about all the excitement next week, Mr. Obler? Well, for that excitement, Frank, we've got news for our friends about the red, white, and blue. I don't mean old glory. I'm talking about those all-important Red, white, and blue ration stamps. Well, I'm sure all the folks are well acquainted with the white and blue stamps by now, Mr. Obler, so let's concentrate on the red stamps that went into action yesterday. These are the stamps you use when you buy any of the newly rationed foods. Meat, cheese, butter, oils, and shortening. And here's how your red stamps work. Yesterday, March 29th, the red A stamps became valid. A total of 16 points per person for this week. Yes, but this is very important, Frank, for all of us who like to eat regularly... You don't have to use all of those stamps this week. Your red A stamps are good right all up to the end of April. Yes, and that holds true for the B stamps that become valid next Monday, April 5th. Also the C stamps that you can start using Monday, April 12th. And the red D stamps, effective April 19th. But at the end of April, all the red A, B, C, and D stamps expire. And only the red E stamps will be good. And remember, you can use these points any way you like. You can spend them all on meat. Or you can concentrate on meat and butter. In the American way, it's up to you. But don't forget, all forms of meat are now rationed. So is canned fish and fish products. But fresh or frozen or smoked fish and fish not in sealed containers are not rationed. Neither is poultry and game. And in the cheese line, cottage cheese, cream cheese, camembert, liederkranz, and several other varieties are not rationed. And whereas all kinds of fats and oils Butter, margarine, lard, shortening, and cooking and salad oils are rationed. Salad dressing, mayonnaise, and pure olive oil are not rationed. Thanks, Pete, for an interesting discussion. And thanks to Phoebe for her point of view. Do you have a pandemic story you want to share? 
Is there an angel or devil? A helper? A hero? Or a knucklehead you think I should know about? Drop me a line. Crash at CrashBerry.com. Until we meet again, thanks for listening. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.